there's been issues with the mic the last couple of months, I'm going to guess. And so uh, I think it's all fixed and working. So, But if you can't hear me during this a lesson this morning, please raise your hand. But I can hear that it's going out, so that's great. Um, I want to thank James Harris for subbing for me last week. Uh, Lori and I were out of town, and uh, I appreciate him uh, stepping in. Our lesson today is on Jewish prayer. And uh, this is something I've been researching, but it's incomplete. So so what I have done is I'm going to talk a little about Jewish prayer this morning um, that hopefully will be informative to everyone. And then we're going to shift to uh, a lesson on our prayer or how we should pray. So uh, that's what we're going to do. And to start off, let's start off our class with a prayer this morning. <clears throat> our gracious God and Father, we're so thankful for every good blessing you give us each day. We're so thankful for being your children and being here together as a congregation to study your word and to learn more about you. Uh, we ask that our time here and our uh, participation here will be pleasing to you as we sing songs of praises, pray, and take communion together. Uh, bless us all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, Jewish prayer. The first prayer dialogue recorded was between Abraham and God in the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, that was found in Genesis 18. And I've talked to you about the Talmud before, uh, Talmud being the oral law. And I just want to read two passages from the Talmud. And keep in mind that these words by these Jewish rabbis is over 2,000 years old. (coughs) Faith finds its truest expression in the act of prayer. Because only one who sincerely believes in God and his willingness to befriend his creatures address petitions to him. Not that prayer signifies only asking for one's needs. It is in its highest sense. It is the intimate communication between the creator and the creature. 2,000 years ago. Uh, Another statement. That the act of prayer must be performed in a reverent manner is strongly urged. He who prays must direct his heart to heaven. When one prays, he must turn his eyes downward and his heart upward. Who prays must imagine that the Shekinah, which is the Holy Spirit, is over against him, as it is said, I have set the Lord's always before me. When you pray, know before whom you stand. He who makes his voice heard during prayer is of small faith. He who raises his voice when praying is of the prophet of falsehood because they resemble the prophets of Baal who cries aloud. There's a whole section uh, in the Talmud that talks about prayer. So prayer is as a service to the heart is the principle of the Torah based in commandment. It is not a time dependent and is not mandatory for both and is mandatory for both Jews, Jewish men, and Jewish women. 
Jewish men are obligated to recite prayers three times each day. Additional reference in the Hebrew Bible has been interpreted to suggest that King David and the prophet Daniel prayed three times a day. In Psalms, David states, Even Evening, morning, and noontime, I speak to the Lord, and he hearkens to my voice. And in the book of Daniel, Daniel 6.10, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the window opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So that was the tradition for men in ancient times to pray three times a day. Shema. Does everyone know what the Shema is? Shema. Observant Jews consider the Shema to be the most important part of the prayer service in Judaism. And it's twice recited as a mitzvah. Also, it's tradition for the Jews to say the Shema as their last words and for the parents to teach their children to say it before they go to sleep at night. The Shema is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit down, sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your homes, houses, and on your gates. The Jewish Siddur uh, is a Jewish book of prayer book containing a set of orders order of daily prayers the word siddur comes from the hebrew root meaning to order the earliest part of jewish prayer books are the shema the priestly blessings from uh, number six which are in the torah and is traditionally ascribed to the great assembly at the time of israel uh, as the time of ezra so these jewish prayer books go back all the way to the time of ezra now, we have a feeling about prayers, I know this, that prayer should be from the heart, right? So when we think of a prayer book, that doesn't quite fit with the way we think things should be. Um, repeating the same prayer over and over again, does it really involve the heart and the mind? However, we do have some thoughts, the same thoughts when we use songs. We use a song book. We sing the same songs every Sunday or, or s- recent enough that we know what these songs are. However, that doesn't really take away the meaning of those songs. So having a prayer book is not a bad idea. Um, Ephesians 5.19 says, Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs from the Spirit. Sing and make melody from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we sing these songs over and over, and they still have meaning. So having a prayer book, I think, would also exhibit kind of the same characteristics. 
my dad was asked to pray in church often. He was an elder for 25 years, and after he passed, I was cleaning out his files, and here in a folder is a whole bunch of written prayers that he had, which I have occasionally used to pray a prayer that my dad wrote. Some of the attire when praying, head covering. In most synagogues, it is considered a sign of respect for male attendees to wear a head covering. The talit, or a prayer shawl, is traditionally worn during all morning and services, during the Allah to the Torah, as well as during the service of Yom Kippur. Phylacteries. You guys have seen these are a set of small cubic leather boxes painted black containing scrolls of parchment inscribed in the verses from the Torah. They are tied to the head and arms with leather straps dyed black and are worn by Jews only during weekday morning prayers. In Orthodox synagogues, they are expected to be worn only by men. This harkens back to a verse we just had read, Deuteronomy 6.8. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses. The Shema, written on a small piece of paper, is in these boxes on their forehead and on their arms. You may have observed, if you've, I haven't been there, but watched a show about this, that sometimes Jews sway back and forth when they are praying. The practice is referred to as shuckling. It's not mandatory. Shuckling is believed to increase the concentration and emotional intensity. It has been seen as expression of the soul's desire to abandon the body and to reunite itself with the source. Part of this comes from the Shema, what we just read. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The strength comes from moving your body while you pray. So, in the future, I am going to expand what I know about Jewish prayer and present a much lengthier lesson on that, but I want to give you an introduction about Jewish prayer. Now, I think I want to continue this in a lesson in about how we should pray or why we should pray or thoughts on prayer. And one of the questions I will ask is why we pray. We recognize from the Bible that God wants us to be a praying people. It is found throughout the Bible. <clears throat> but I think if you really look at yourself, myself, I think that we are all in that way prayer challenged. In many ways, the church is prayer challenged. The question is, why? Why are we challenged? And the time we spend praying and what we pray about. Part of this could be come from Matthew uh, 6, 6 through 8. It says this, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they, are, they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask it. 
before you ask him. So if God knows what I need, and he knows I'm a child of God, I'm a faithful child of God, then why does not, uh, then when I do pray many times, my needs are not met when I need them to be met. Sometimes we have this thought. How many times have we heard this? God answers prayers in three ways. Sometimes he said yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait a while. We've all heard that. What does this mean? Sometimes it may be mean to me if I'm an obedient child of God and I earnestly pray for blessings to come into my life and God chooses to answer me in one of these three ways, then God is not very responsive to me, his child. If my prayer does not cause God to act on my behalf when I feel like I need it, if he's going to act when he wants, which means my prayer has little effect on what God is going to do. These thoughts go through our heads or our feelings about prayer. So is God going to do what he's going to do in his own time frame? Sometimes that doesn't give me confidence about when I pray. A couple people have commented about this. A guy named John Wesley said, God does nothing on earth except in answer to believing prayer. Ian Bowne says, God shapes the world by prayer and the more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be. So that's our question today. Is God going to do what God is going to do or does God respond to my believing prayer? To discuss this further, we're going to go back a long ways. We're going to go back to the very beginning of man's relationship to God. So, Genesis 1.26 says this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. When God said, Let us make man, Adam is a word, Hebrew word. Words that means earth, but literally means mankind, human beings. So Adams referred to both male and female. And some of our more contemporary translations says God made people. Adam, Adam, means human being. God named the first Adam, but that was also what he really was. Adam was a human being. It says also in verse 26 that they should rule over the earth, that the affairs of earth to be governed through Adam, human beings. Human beings are made to rule for God. They are God's representative on the face of the earth. Psalms 8, 3 through 6 says, When I consider the heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which thou have set in place, what is Adam, Adam, man, that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with the glory and honor. You have made him to rule over the works of your hands. The NIV says that God made Adam, Adam a little lower than the heavenly beings. 
but many of us are familiar with the King James Version that says, translated, that God made us a little lower than angels. But the Hebrew text does not say God created us a little lower than angels. It said, he says God created us a little lower than Elohim. Elohim is consistently translated God. So in the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Psalms 8 says that we were created a little lower than Elohim, God. So the hierarchy is not God, angels, man. It's God, man, angels. These two passages tell us who we are. We are in the rela- and what kind of relationship we have with God. We have to know our relationship with God to know how we should pray. Again, Genesis 1, 26-28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. So image, salim, in Hebrew literally means to make a shade or cast a shadow, a phantom, or an illusion. You can tell a sh- from a shadow a lot about a person. It is an image of that person. A phantom would be something so real, so lifelike, but it's not. Like a hologram. An illusion is something that you think you could s- you see, but you don't because it's not really there. It means that we were made so much like God that we are like phantoms of God, illusions of God, because we were created in his image. It means that when Adam was walking around in the garden and the animals saw him out of the corner of the eye, they thought, oh, that's God. No, because Adam was so much like God. He was an illusion. He was so much like God, but he wasn't. He was only a phantom. That's how much we are made like God. Psalms 8 says that we were created a little lower than God. Again, Genesis 1, 26-28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. So likeness, this word is demuth in Hebrew. It means to compare to, to be similar to, to resemble. Adam was so much like God, he was an illusion. We were made like him. We resemble God. We look like God. I have no idea what that exactly means, but that's what it says. We somehow resemble God. We look like God. We were made in the image of God. Why would God do this? Why would God create something so like him that to see him you thought it was God? It was an illusion. God wanted fellowship. God wanted someone like himself that he could have a relationship with. He had millions of angels, 
but they were not Elohim. They were not like God. God created Adam and made him like himself. And so he could have a relationship with him. Again, Genesis 1.26-28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Two, two, two words for rule. Dominion and subdue. Rada and kabash. When you put both these words together, we think of having control over putting it under your feet, having authority over, or subduing it. So God created man. He created Adam. He gave him the right to have dominion, to rule. God was a ruler, and he gave Adam the right to rule, to be in charge of, to have dominion over, to take care of the earth. Psalms 8.5 says, For thou hast made him a little lower than God and crowned him with glory and honor. So God crowned man with glory. Have you ever thought about what that means? What, what is glory? Glory in Hebrew is kabod, which means to be heavy, to be weighty, not just respect and honor, but to be heavy, like someone who has authority. We should, we may say, he carries a lot of weight around here. God said, Adam, you have authority. You will carry much weight. You will have glory. So Adam was created in God's image, created in God's likeness. He is so much like God that when you see him, you thought you were seeing God. And God gave him his kabod, his, his authority. You're going to carry some weight around this earth. So you're in charge. When you say, this animal is going to be called this name, that's what name it will be called. The Bible says we are in the kabod, the glory of God that God has given us. The New Testament says that God put his glory on the church so that people, when they see the church, see God. They will see God because we are in the image and the likeness of God. The Hebrew word for glory is kabod. There is a story from the Talmud that the rabbis attributed to glory. The rabbi said that when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were engulfed in light. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai, what was, the t- what was true about Moses, right? His face shone. He had, been put, he had to put on a veil to keep from blinding people. When we're in the presence of God, we have this radiance, this light, this glory that emanates from you. As you recall, Jesus went up to the Mount Transfiguration. It says his garments glowed. Adam and Eve had this glory that surrounded them when they, but when they sinned, this glory went away. Jesus came back to give the glory back to the church. 
so that when people see us, they see God. That's how it should be. They will see how God would act. If we are good Christians, this is how people would see us. When they see the church, when they see us, they would see how God would act. We were made in his image, in his likeness. We put his glory on us, and we are present uh, present his values. We were made to be God's representatives on the earth. And we were made to rule. Rule, marshal, to reign, to govern, to manage. Uh, Genesis 3.16 says, But when he... Uh, but he will rule over you. They were, uh, Adam and Eve were equal before that. After this, his husband to, was to rule in the home. Psalms 8 says, he gave us the right to rule over the planet. Psalms fifteen sixteen: the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. We are to be in charge. We are to rule on the earth. The word given here doesn't mean ownership. It means given in responsibility. Adam was put on the earth in charge of the earth. He doesn't own it, but he has given charge to man. Genesis 2.15 The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. The word to take care of means shamar in Hebrew. It's to guard. It's protect. So Adam was put in the garden to protect it. So why would the garden need protection? Because Satan had and his angels had been kicked out of heaven, right? So he had to be aware. God says to Adam, I have given you the earth to have dominion over it to protect it. And since Satan is out there kicking around, beware, he may come over to your turf. They're going to try to take charge of it. And it's your responsibility to protect it. Just like he tried, Satan tried to get heaven from God. So we, Adam, human beings, were given this domain, Earth, Eden, God created us to be like him. We were made in his image. We were made in his likeness. He gave us his glory, and we put us in charge to be responsible and delegated it to us. We are to rule over the earth, and we're repres- we are to represent God here. Revelations 5.10 5, says, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, We will reign with him, Christ. But something happened along the way. What was that? Adam and Eve sold out. Adam and Eve sold out to Satan. They didn't protect it like they were supposed to. They were tempted and they were deceived. Have you ever had a micromanager at work? (laughs) Rob and I know what that's like. (laughs) A micromanager, for those of you who don't know, 
is your boss gave you a job and then comes over and hovers around you to make sure you do it like he wants it done. God is not like this. He so gave up us dominion on the earth and gave us the authority that he gave us the ability to give it away. So complete was man's authority on the earth that he had the right to give it away. Think about that. Do you believe that we had this? A key verse about this. Luke 4, 6. And he, Satan, said to him, Jesus, to you, I'm going to read it up here. The devil led him, Jesus, up to a high place and showed him an instance, all the kingdoms of the world. This is during Jesus' temptation. And he said to him, I will give all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. This is what Satan said. It has been given. Who gave the earth to Satan? Not God. God gave it to Adam. Adam and Eve were to rule on this earth. They were, but they capitulated and gave their responsibility over to Satan. Three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world. And we lost the right to represent God because of this, like we were supposed to. Genesis three fourteen and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust the rest of your life. And I will put enemy, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Have you ever thought about what that means exactly? The word for head hair means leadership or authority first. So God sent a man so God sent a man to get the leadership back. He came back. Jesus came back to crush Satan, his headship, his leadership, his reign. And once man lost his rule to Satan, it had been it had to be taken back by a man, a man named Jesus. This is why God had to come in the flesh and blood. First Timothy two five says the man Jesus Christ, God had to become a man, a human being. It was going if he was going to get back what man had lost. Acts 17.31 Inasmuch as he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he hath ordained, therefore he hath given assurances to all men that he hath raised him from the dead. So, he was judged the world by one man that he appointed. Jesus is that man which God is going to judge the world. He is the one who will give us back our headship, our leadership on the earth. So, God has given us dominion. 
This is our place to enjoy and govern. Our praying releases God to do what he wants to do, it's not, but is not willing to do it without our permission. God is, going, God is not going to be a micromanager. He's not going to barge in and take over unless we ask him to because it's our place. We are to reign on the earth. We are to rule. God waits. God is standing by if we need help for us to ask it. If we have to invite, we have to invite God into our domain. He gave it to us. He's not going to bully us, bully his way in. If we need his help, we need to ask him for it. He doesn't just come in and change things. If there's decision that we need to have made that he doesn't like, can you think any of those? I can think of a few of those. He wants to be invited in. God wants us to ask him to come and help us with our problems. God is not going to do what he's going to do. Remember this passage. Matthew 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. When your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. God is waiting for your prayer to be invited in to do what he knows you need in your life. Some examples of this. Elijah. You recall the story of the story of Elijah. Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself down on the earth and he put his face between his knees and he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And he said, Go again, seven times. So Elijah prayed seven times. Elijah was a man like us. Elijah was a man like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth their fruit. So why does Elijah need to pray? Because he knows he needs to ask God to do for God to do what he wants to do. Andrew Murray said, It is only by intercession that the power can be brought down from heaven which will enable the church to conquer the world. Some other examples. Daniel 9. Daniel prayed to God to fulfill his word. He asked God to enter his domain and to do what he wants to do. Daniel 10.12 says, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. God wanted to do for Daniel, but God needed Daniel's prayer. God has made himself dependent on us to enter our world. Another verse, Ezekiel 22, uh, 22, 30. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. God wanted to provide mercy, 
but because there was not one to stand in the gap, he brought judgment. But there was no one to ask God to release mercy, but he couldn't find anyone. Some more examples. We are to pray for our daily bread. We need bread. God knows we need bread. But we need to pray for our daily bread. Paul says, Pray for me that the word of God will spread throughout Asia. Doesn't God want his word spread around the world? Paul said, Pray to God so we can spread the word. So many passages in the Bible speak of the thing you would think God would do anyway, but we need to pray to make them happen. God is standing, waiting to bless us, but he needs our permission. Matthew 6, 8, The Father knows what you need before you ask him. Matthew nine thirty eight, Lord of harvest, so send forth workers. We need to pray for the Lord of harvest to send forth workers. Doesn't God want his word spread? Yeah, but we need to pray to make that happen. John fourteen thirteen. I will do whatever you ask in my name. God is waiting for us to ask so he can do for us. James 1, 5. God gives generously to all. Ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will open to you. God is taking us back to a time where we reign on the earth. Right now, our authority comes from Jesus Christ, who gives us back the glory we had from the beginning, and the glory is on the church. So we're living right. When people see the church, when they say yes, they should see an image of God. We are in, in his image. We are in his likeness. So we should come before God in prayer, and we should come with confidence, knowing that God will respond to our prayer. God is waiting, waiting to bless us. He's not going to barge in, but he's waiting our request. That our prayer will release God to do, on our behalf, what God wants to do in this world. Remember Elijah. James 5. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders to the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, 
and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. That's our lesson on prayer this morning. Thank you for your attention. You are dismissed.